Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My thanks to this week's sponsor, Hayloft Plants, Pershaw in Worcestershire. There is no better group of plants for flower power than forms of the shrubby potentilla. Producing single rows like flowers continually from June to the first frost. Oh, there's nothing better than being out in the fresh air, splitting a few logs. Now I can take them in, get the fire going and be a little bit warmer. I love that smell of fresh split wood. There's nothing like it. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook here to exchange some news, views, a bit of seasonal advice and uh, hopefully answer some of your gardening quandaries. A full day of heavy rain towards the end of last week, saw my back lawn flooded. We don't usually see that until February, but at least I now know that the soil water is up to field capacity. All the water butts are overflowing. Happens to be uh, useful because last weekend I spent time stripping out the remains of uh, cucumber and tomato plant debris from the polytunnel. Once I've done that, getting some water from the butts and giving the soil a really good flooding washes out any uh, build-up of excessive salts from uh, the summer feeding of those crops. Get uh, that soil dug over and fully flushed through and we'll be ready for the new season. I've got two seed trays full of uh, ripening tomatoes that will keep me supplied, I think, pretty well into the new year. Amazing what kind of yield you can get from just a few plants in good soil. And after several frosty nights, I've uh, picked the first sprouts. A bit on the small side, but uh, very tasty. Now, what's in the news? We have... uh, Ten new community forests, apparently, some 1,000 acres to be planted with trees over the next five months from Somerset to Yorkshire, with a 12.1 million government fund. Given time, this planting is forecast to store 100,000 tonnes of carbon, so there you are. And there are even more ambitious plans for the future, although... uh, Tree seedling growers tell me currently there's not enough saplings being raised to meet these targets. A Till Hill Forestry, a forestry management firm, has launched its 2021 three-year graduate programme and they're looking for successful students of forestry, land management, environmental studies or horticulture. And uh, anyone interested uh, should apply now. Till Hill offer a wide range of experiences with uh, their groups, forestry, nurseries and sawmills. 
along with one-to-one mentoring. Alan Roper, the Managing Director of Blue Diamond Garden Centres, predicts an increase in the prices of garden furniture next year. His chain of centres expects to receive 500 containers full from the Far East, apparently, and shipping prices have uh, gone through the roof. Demand for shipping has increased tremendously, not least for the thousands of containers importing PPE equipment. So I suppose uh, some increases in prices with stuff coming from the Far East is inevitable. But this is the weekend, of course, when lots of people will be out and about getting their Christmas tree to hand. Might be worth just running very quickly through what's available and one or two tips on getting good value. The traditional Norway spruce, Pisces Abies, which has um, a medium sort of fragrance and very dark green prickly uh, needles, is uh, nowhere near as popular now as it was, uh, but still accounts for about 10% of the sales. Don't buy this too early. Uh, Norway spruce really does drop its needles if you're not very careful. Now, the uh, most popular tree these days is a Nordman fir, Abies Nordmaniana. Sorry, Nordmaniana. And it's popular because it has a long, dark green, soft needles, soft foliage, a pretty good shape, especially if it's one of those uh, doubled trim trees coming from Needle Fresh up in Scotland. They take eight to ten years to grow, so you should expect to pay, I suppose, about £50 for a tree six feet or so high. There are other trees, of course, in Scotland. The Scots pine, Pinus sylvestris, it's a national tree of Scotland. Dark blue-green and good needle retention, but it tends to be a bit open. Not very popular in England, but we do see uh, the introduction of other kinds. For example, the noble fir, Abies procera, which has very good fragrance and sturdy needles. Or the Fraser fir, Abies fraseri, that too has uh, nicely fragrant needles and slightly upward facing branches. So it's good if you've got some quite heavy ornaments to uh, display. And the Fraser fir, of course, is the top seller in the States. There's uh, two others that I mention, must mention. The Colorado Blue Spruce, Picea pungens, uh, is raised from seed and uh, quite often offer, offered as container grown. It'll be about a metre high usually. And it's the early bird that gets the worm here because raised from seed, there is quite a range of uh, colour. And if you want a really good blue spruce, then uh, you need to make a selection from a good cross-section of plants. I remember some long time ago visiting George Harrison's garden uh, just west of London, I should say the late George Harrison. Uh, well, we spent a day with my son walking round uh, what was a, a really big country house and garden, and he had a group of blue spruce. They were, I would think... Uh, 40, 50 feet high, pretty naked around the base and were about set for replacement. Uh, and it just uh, reminds me too to uh, 
tell you that most of these trees that we're talking about are forest trees and will in time become very big uh, and not really suitable long term for the small garden. They can of course be grown in pots. I've got um, a Norway spruce that's been grown from a little seedling been indoors for at least three Christmases and is now getting to the point where it's going to get a bit too tall I think and it will need to be planted. I'm very pleased to welcome uh, today for our interview return visit of Chris Betis. Chris and I met up uh, as we often have done in the past in Germany at the big trade show in Essen earlier this year and uh, I don't think, Chris, it's fair to say we had any idea of what was going to happen in the next uh, few months after our January meeting. We were so happy back in those days, weren't we, Peter? <laughs> so so content, had, we're just oblivious. Uh, other than knowing there was something going on in, in kind of in China and the, the East, and, and those things never, never affect us, of course, here in the West. <laughs> and uh, that was one of my last airplane rides, I think, my trip home from, from Germany. And mine. That's correct. Yes, I hadn't thought about that. But Chris, how did you get into this business? I mean, you had a nursery in Florida, I think. Yeah, my wife and I uh, had a nursery in Florida called Indian River Ornamentals for almost 10 years back in the 80s. I've got a degree in journalism and, and she has a degree in horticulture. And... Um, we decided to that uh, that it was easier to start a greenhouse than it was to start a newspaper, I guess. <laughs> Her family had some land in Florida and some old horse barns. And Florida is the number two um, floriculture production state in America. So it's a good place to grow plants. And her father said, why don't you turn those old barns into greenhouses and start a nursery? And we kind of did, although we didn't turn the barns into to greenhouses. We wound up building nice, big, fancy, uh, modern greenhouses. And that's how we got into the business. And I never thought I would use my, my writing credentials from uh, the University of Florida. But uh, we quick. It, it took about 10 years to find out how hard the greenhouse business is. And that's when I decided to try a new career. And that's what led me to, uh, to Grower Talks magazine. Yeah, and quite a change from Florida to Chicago. Presumably the temperatures are beginning to drop a little bit there. The first day we arrived in 1993 was Halloween and it was flurrying out and we had left Florida. My wife looked at me and with a look that said, where have you brought me? And that was 27 <laughs> years ago. And uh, it's chilly now. It's in the, say, 20s at night and 40s during the day. But it's still kind of a nice late, late fall here. No, no snow yet. Yeah, That will come. Now, what uh, effect has the coronavirus had on the garden trade, particularly in the States in the last six months? I think the story is uh, is pretty much the same. Yes, it started right before Easter. And I think the two parts of the industry that were hit the hardest were potted plant growers early on because Easter was non-existent as far as plant sales go. So if you had Easter lilies or orchids or anything else you were growing for Easter, especially if you're selling them to the, the big box stores, as many growers here in America do, you were dumping them. And the industry was frightened to death because we thought there was going to be no spring. The greenhouses were full of plants, but we had no idea what was going to happen. But pretty quickly, uh, it was determined that, uh, that greenhouses, garden centers, nurseries, landscapers, they were all classified as essential by local governments or state governments or whoever's in charge of those kinds of things. And they were allowed to open with a lot of restrictions. It started a little bit slowly, but we quickly found out that uh, homeowners who now had no place to go and nothing to do decided, well, let's garden. And they started coming to our garden centers and 
it took off like you wouldn't believe. Most of my readers were reporting record sales, and it hasn't stopped. You know, we think we've got uh, between two and three million new gardeners here in the UK. All the uh, indications are that they're booking seeds for the spring, and so it looks as if we've got them for a season or more. I've heard the number 20 million new gardeners here in the States. And the big question now is how do we get them to come back? How do we, you know, are they successful? Do they enjoy it? And other research that I've seen this this fall uh, indicates that those who, new gardeners who tried our hobby for the first time, uh, liked it. And let's see, I'm looking at one number right here from uh, an outfit called Axiom Marketing. 86% of homeowners plan to continue gardening in 2021. So that's, that's certainly good news. I mean, they're amazing figures, aren't they? It's a nice thing, no doubt about it. Uh, so I talked to some of my neighbors in my neighborhood. Uh, several told me that they had wanted to grow vegetables and they had um, raised vegetable garden kits in their garage for several years, but they just never had the time. Well, people had nothing but time and very few places to go. Now, there's two things that I'm a bit involved with here in the UK, Chris. We're not going to have as many visitors at home over Christmas, and so we're suggesting the decorations might as well be moved outside, some of them, and make our front doors and front gardens more decorative. And the other thing, we uh, arrange for schoolchildren to go to um, garden centres and sing to elderly people, and everybody has a poinsettia to take home. We can't do that, of course, and so I'm just in the stages of arranging to take uh, a couple of school choirs into the car park of residential homes so that uh, the kids can sing in the car park, socially distanced, and the old people can either be at their open windows or at the front door to hear them singing. Now, what happens uh, uh, horticulturally in America with uh, the approach of Christmas? Well, we don't have that nice a tradition. We don't get the kids out singing for the old folks. We should, but I don't know. Maybe it's better for the old folks if they don't have to listen to the kids, uh, you know, singing rap music or something they would, they would do here. <laughs> but, uh, but no, we don't have those traditions. What, what, um, what I, what we do have a lot of though is, um, is fundraisers and churches like to buy poinsettias. So you get school kids who will sell poinsettias to their family and friends and neighbors up and down the street as a fundraiser. And those poinsettias come from local growers or garden centers. And you also get churches who will buy a lot of poinsettias, um, you know, to decorate with uh, or to give away. And because churches are limited on their attendance and because many schools are being done remotely now, those sales have decreased considerably. So that's about the only concern that uh, my growers and retailers have had going into Christmas is we're not selling to churches and we're not selling to the school fundraisers. Will consumers be coming in to buy the poinsettias that the churches and the schools aren't? I've been out traveling on weekends with my wife. We love to get out to garden centers and see what's going on and talking to them. Um, consumers um, want for, for, the, for Christmas, they want a sense of normalcy. They're looking for comfort. They want, you know, an old-fashioned Christmas. They can't be with a lot of family or friends, but the friends or the family they can be with, they want to, uh, you know, make it nice. So poinsettias and other Christmas decorations, greens have all been selling in uh, vast quantities and start, that started very early as well. Um, some growers were already, you know, they kind of bring in poinsettias um, 
into bloom kind of week by week. So they always have fresh plants through November and December. And they were selling through the, uh, the, the plants faster than they were coming into bloom, you know. So that's all a good thing as well. And as far as decorations, I, you had sent me a picture of the, uh, the front door decorations, with the, you know, Christmas trees and all kinds of uh, beautiful things. We do a lot of uh, outdoor decorating, uh, lights and uh, garland and things like that, and wreaths. And I will be very curious as I look at my own neighborhood to find out if people are doing more decorating. I can tell you personally, I put up more lights this year than I have in the past just to make Christmas extra special, you know, kind of for my neighbors and for myself. So maybe my neighbors have followed suit. It's remarkable how parallel the activities of the garden trade and and gardening are uh, here uh, and in the States. The sale of poinsettias started earlier here. Uh, and growers are forecasting being sold out by the 6th to the 10th of December, a week to 10 days earlier than would normally be the case. But do, do you still think the British gardener is a more keen gardener than the American gardener? I think so, even if the newer generation isn't quite as keen as the, the previous generation. Well, what's happening in the last few months could actually save the day. I think we've been living on our reputation for a few years and we've got a lost generation in the past years when dad went to work and mum stayed at home with the kids. You know, that there was um, much more gardening within the family then. And once we had both parents working, they didn't have enough time uh, to do the gardening. To some extent, the grandparents took over. But now, of course, we see that younger generation, the, the 25s to 40s, actively gardening again. It, it, it could save our reputation, I think. As, uh... Well, you have to hope something good comes out of this whole pandemic. And if people discover gardening and nature uh, through it, that's not such a bad thing. Right? Yeah, indeed. Now, you went recently, I think, to see a trial of what's happening with poinsettias. I've seen here that we have a very strong yellow-coloured bracted poinsettia, which looks pretty attractive. Breeders keep introducing new colours, but red remains the dominant, I think, without question here. What have we got new coming along from what you've seen? Well, new, how about orange? Orange. Vivid, like tangerine orange. (laughs) (laughs) It's one called Orange Glow from uh, from one of the companies, and it's coming into the marketplace. It's a beautiful speci- It's a beautiful plant. And with sales of poinsettias happening earlier and earlier, op- even into late October, uh, you start to see a few. Uh, I think this could be one of those early poinsettias someone could bring in for, you know, for Thanksgiving. It fits with the fall decor. Uh, but red is still dominant, probably 80 to 85 percent of the market is red. People will look at all the fancy colors, but then they'll buy the red yeah. and take it, you know, that's what they'll they'll take home. But uh, consumers are in luck because at my count, I believe at the, the, the trial I visited, which was down near St. Louis, there were, I think, 85 different red poinsettias. 85 different. So there's something for everybody. Yes, 85, and they didn't have them all. Just those, those were the highlights. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing this for almost 40 years, and I used to grow poinsettias. And, you know, your eyes glaze over, and you look across the sea of red, and you try to discern the difference. And so then you just finally have to ask somebody, okay, tell me what I'm looking at here. But, of course, there are subtle differences in leaf color, bract shape. And there are some some nice novelty colors. And the big trend here, now tell me if this happens uh, in the UK, Peter, dyeing and glittering 
of poinsettias. That is happening, and I'm afraid I'm a bit of a traditionalist. Uh, I'm not terribly enthusiastic about gluing glitter onto Why doesn't that surprise me? <laughs> <laughs> but I think breeders are introducing stronger plants, aren't they? I mean, when we first had pot-grown poinsettias, the branches would snap if you weren't very careful when you put them into sleeves. You as a grower, particularly in Chicago where you have cold nights and the days are shortening, what's the advice you would give to homeowners to get um, a nice bit of life out of their poinsettia, you know? Do they live on your office windowsill that I can see there? Well, when I was a, I was a grower in Florida, so my biggest problem was heat. Up here it's cold and the biggest mistake a homeowner can make when they buy a poinsettia is the exposure to cold between the garden center and their car and then the car and the home. So you've really got to protect your plant. You know, if you're buying a poinsettia and it's and it's uh, 20 or 30 degrees Fahrenheit out, seconds of that can, can damage a plant. Beyond that, uh, one of the things to look for when you're buying a poinsettia is the little yellow flowers in the center called the cyathea. And those should be present and nice and fresh and vibrant looking. And if they're kind of compact and tight, that's very good. If they've really spread open a bit, it means the plant is a bit older. And if they've if they're if they're missing completely, that means the plant is, is pretty old. So look for that cyathea. But um, buy plenty of them, bring them home, water them maybe once a week or so. Don't put them next to a, a heater where they're going to get uh, you know hot air blown on them. And they should be fine right up through through Christmas. And buy some painted ones, too. The painted, I'm going to go back to the painted ones on you, Peter, because, because you and I, as traditionalists, may not like them, but nothing will get people talking about poinsettias like, like multicolored paint and glitter. And I've stood at a bench of poinsettias for 20 or 30 minutes talking about the merits of painting. People don't talk about a red poinsettia for 20 minutes, but they'll talk about a, a, a dyed and painted one. And we have to think about those younger folks who might like it. I'm afraid we do. Yeah. Be open-minded about it. Yeah. I'm no. going to send you one. How about that? I'm one, of my, <laughs> one of my florist friends uh, in, up in your neck of the woods. I'm going to have them deliver you something as colorful as possible. And Chris, what about the future? What have we got in the um, seasonal bedding for the spring and the summer? Um, I mean, we fortunately now have uh, the beacon impatiens with um, downy mildew resistance, which was a, a great breeding uh, improvement. Uh, and I think um, the ball company where you are are investing a great deal of money in breeding. They are. They're the ones who developed uh, Beacon Impatience. They actually developed it at their um, their Dutch facilities uh, a few a few years back, and it's been on the, on the market now for a couple of seasons. Very important, of course, you know, busy Lizzie's for you in the UK, but in South Africa, Australia, um, many parts of the US, they're very important. The biggest challenge that's kind of happened with that, though, is that some growers have gotten a little bit complacent and they're, they're maybe doing some beacons, but then they're kind of bringing in the old ones again, forgetting that, no, these are the ones susceptible to the downy mildew disease. And, uh, and maybe they're not spraying as diligently or, or scouting for disease. So um, beacons are great, but if you're still doing the old varieties as well, you're still going to have that disease around. But yes, uh, my company, Ball, are investing in high-tech technology to bring better plants to consumers, better meaning, well, of course, more vibrant colors, longer lasting, more shapes and sizes, more unusual colors. But a lot of it comes down to disease resistance and durability. 
I'm like a consumer, though. <clears throat> when I go into a garden center, I'm looking for vivid, bright colors. You know, what jumps <laughs> off the shelf at me? And if it's disease resistant, that's a bonus. But boy, give, give me some, some beautiful colors. I, I think most people like color, if they're honest. But, you know, when I was in uh, California looking at your trials, what would it be now, 18 months ago, the thing that struck me was the double stocks where you're now able to sort out the single flower ones from the double ones just by electronic cameras looking at the seed coat. I just marvel at the advances that are being made, human skill and with the electronics. There's some amazing technology. Some of it trickles down from, from big ag, as you could call the corn and the, and the soybean things. Our biggest challenge is, uh, well, take stock, for instance. It's not a, a, a top 10 bedding plant here in America. So it's difficult to invest a lot of money in technology to uh, improve a variety like, like stock. Um, so, you know, the, the, the investments can still be very high, millions of dollars in technology for, uh, for, for something that you, um, you know, that's cheap and cheerful, as we like to say, uh, you know, 99 cents at the garden center. Uh, but something like Impatience, which was the number one betting plant in the world, yeah. that's something that's, that's worth in, investing in. I know that there's, a, there's investment in tulips is, is very interesting. One of the big breeding companies in, in the Netherlands uh, is using genetic technology. Now, don't confuse this with genetic modification, nothing like that. But they, can, they have um, mapped the genome of the tulip, which allows them to speed up the breeding process. Uh, I've been told it takes up to 20 years to bring a new tulip to market. Can you imagine starting a project today and knowing it's not going to be at the you know at retail for 20 years and you have to anticipate what the you know what the what what people want then? But uh, how about 10 years? What they do is they produce a little seedling and instead of having to grow that seedling out to full size to flower to see if it has the traits it wants, they can send it to a laboratory. The laboratory reads the genetic code of that plant to and can see if the gene is in there that, that will give it the trait they want. If it does have it in there, then they'll go ahead and grow it out. If it doesn't, they just discard it. So the breeders don't have to waste time growing things out just to see if it has the trait they want. Chris, it's great to chat to you and all the very best for Christmas and the New Year. Peter, always a pleasure. Let's do it again. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Some tips now on uh, whatever kind of tree you decide to get. 
First of all, if uh, it's what we call a cut tree, in other words, one that's been uh, sawn off at ground level, when you get it home, the standard treatment, of course, is to just trim half an inch or an inch off the butt and then get it into uh, one of the Christmas tree stands with some water. It is worth using really warm or uh, almost hot water for that first lot because that just softens the resin and helps the moisture get up into the tree. When it comes to uh, trees already bought uh, in pots, then there are two kinds. There are those that have been lifted from the uh, open fields and uh, pushed into a pot, so they will have had uh, quite a bit of root damage and will be nursed, or need to be nursed, pretty carefully uh, if you want to grow them on for another year. And there are those that are container-grown. Certainly the blue spruce are likely to be container-grown. And increasingly I'm seeing the Nordman fir, Nordmaniana, grown in pots. If they have been container-grown, don't be in a rush to bring them indoors. Um, Make sure that they're very well watered before you do bring them indoors. Have them stand in a saucer so that you can keep the compost in the pots damp and then move the trees out pretty soon into the new year so that they can get hardened off again. If you are careful with them, treat them like a living plant, then they will survive for a good number of years being potted on each year. tailpiece this week? Well, a quote from Elizabeth Lawrence. Any garden demands as much of its makers as they have to give. There was never a more true set of words, and my garden now needs more time in it and less spent sitting admiring the fire. Have a good week, and with luck, I'll have caught up a bit when we uh, chat again next week. My thanks to this week's sponsor, Hayloft Plants, Pershaw in Worcestershire. To my producer, Rich Jarman, and of course to you for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.